G'day legends and welcome to episode 20 of The Blowcast. I'm your host Brendan and as always we are here in the cave uh, ready to bring you another awesome episode of this podcast. So this week we are tuning in to part two of the episode that we recorded the other week with Hugo Tuvi from the 25 Stay Alive podcast. He is one half of the 25 Stay Alive podcast and the other half is Matt Willie Williams. And so we interviewed Matt uh, a while ago now. You can jump on to, I think it's about episode 12, so about eight, eight or so episodes ago. Jump back to there and have a listen. Uh, you'll see it there. I can't remember if he's, that's the exact episode off the top of my head, but I'm pretty certain it's around that area. So jump back and have a listen to that episode as well. Those two blokes run an incredible podcast, uh, which you, if you haven't already done, jump on and check it out. You can find it on iTunes, you can find it on Spotify, uh, you can probably find it on a bunch of other platforms, but those are the two main ones that they operate on. And uh, get over there and give them some love. Give them a bit of bloke cast love, a bit of bloke love, a bit of man love, a bit of man hugs. We all love that type of shit. So, yes. Okay. A little bit different of an intro this week, if you haven't already gathered, because we are doing part two of that episode. So, what we are going to do this week is we're not going to do a legend of the week, but next week we will do a legend of the week. So if you are tuning in for the first time and you don't know what legend of the week is, then I feel sorry for you because you've missed out. You've missed out on all these awesome opportunities to be given the most coveted award that you can possibly receive in life, which is legend of the week. And that is if you can jump onto Facebook, you can jump onto iTunes, prefer the iTunes because that will help the podcast grow, but definitely Facebook as well if you don't use iTunes and leave us a review. It really honestly does help us grow. This podcast would not be what it is without this incredible, incredible community that surrounds it. You guys are what makes the podcast. It's not me. I just sit here, I come in, I interview people, I talk shit about my life and make funny jokes that I think are funny, which most people probably don't laugh at, but I think they're funny. That's all that matters. And then, you know, chuck it, on, chuck it up on the internet and you guys get to listen. But it's you guys out there that share this content, that bring in your mates and bring in those people that you feel need this content and bring them in and get them to listen to it. You guys are the ones that are actually helping me grow. You guys are the ones who are actually building this podcast. And it starts and stops with reviews, especially on iTunes. So if you're using iTunes and you haven't left a, re a review yet, then I'm going to make you feel guilty. Get out there and do it. Get off your bum. Leave us a review. It'll help. But if you do leave us a review, then you could be featured on the Blowcast as of the earliest opportunity at next week uh, or in the coming episodes. And you could be Legend of the Week where we, re we will read out your review, positive or negative, does not matter. And we'll read it out and uh, introduce you to the community and say a massive thank you to you. Okay, so let's get stuck into part two of this interview. You haven't listened to part one yet, then please go back to episode 19, which is our previous episode, and listen to part one of this uh, journey that we have with Hugo Tuvi before you jump into part two, because I can, it's not going to make sense. You're going to miss a lot of things. And the journey is worthwhile. It's worth listening to. This is a man that has been through, So I say man, he's, he's still in his mid-20s. You know, he's still in his mid to late 20s. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here with an old fella over 30 now, but he's, he's kicking back. He's still a young fella in his mid-20s and he's been diagnosed with cancer twice. Not once, but twice. He's overcome one and... Go back, listen to that journey in part one in episode 19. You will see the depth that he has had to go through to overcome that cancer is just incredible. It's just that alone is an incredible story, an incredible journey. But you're about to hear the heartbreaking news when we, when we jump straight into this episode here. We are going to jump straight into where he's in the waiting room with his girlfriend and he's about to be delivered uh, some really heartbreaking news. And this is a point where I actually struggled um, listening to this, you know, listening to his story. And because I know Hugo well, we've known each other for a few years now. We lost touch over a few years, but we've, you know, over the past 12, 12 months or so, we kind of regained that touch again and, and kind of, um, you know, regained that friendship. And I, well, it was emotional. It was hard to hear. It was hard to listen to. And I already knew the story. I knew, already knew what was coming. So, you know, if I struggled to it, actually have a, maybe a 
cheeky box of tissues next year that may help you out but uh if not you'll be good to go so sit back relax have a beer have a wine or a vino have a gin don't care have a water or maybe a coke doesn't really matter but sit down relax and let's get stuck in we're going to play some random music here from my podcasting because uh, i haven't set up our normal music like we do and uh yeah let's go And I also really like this music, so it's good. Yeah, basically, I went to the appointment with my partner and we both kind of had that that brave face of pretending nothing was wrong. Um, you know, I remember chatting in the waiting room and just pretending that nothing was really wrong and... and it wasn't until the doctor came out and he called me up and I just saw this look in his face and I'm just like, ah, nah, this isn't good. And he, uh, yeah, basically sat me down. I was only yeah, 26 at the time, two months after I just got given that clear five yearly scan for testicular cancer. And I, he turned the computer around and basically just said it to me and said, look, mate, the results came back from the colonoscopy. Um, you've got bowel cancer. And Straight away, I heard those words again, and I was just—I suppose the the difference of when I heard those words as a twenty-one-year-old, I actually knew <laughs> a lot more about cancer. And yeah, you'd, you'd been through that experience, and you you knew exactly what you were dealing with now. Exactly, exactly right. And specifically, bowel cancer—I've always known as being that—you know—it's the second biggest cancer killer in Australia, behind behind lung cancer. You know it kills a lot of Australians each year. So I think to be told that with my partner sitting next to me was a bit surreal, but I actually held it together really well then and there. I think because I was more like, you know, all right, let's do this. Let's, um, let's smash it with some radiation. Let's do a cycle of chemo. Like let's do this doc. I was almost like pumped to just get rid of it. And he kind of said, look, mate, unfortunately you are where it's located all through your, your large bowel. We have to remove your bowel. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> Hang on, let's just let's just uh, move back a level. You, what do you mean? You got to remove my whole bowel, and and basically said that's just what we have to do. Um, and I've already booked you in for a surgeon in in two days' time. And it was I remember I was, I was in that appointment for about forty five minutes, just going back and forth with questions and this and that, and just like literally. And I remember Amber literally at one stage said, "Hugs, hugs, hugs. It's okay. Like you know, let, we can talk about this later." Because I was just like this. I don't know. Just, just so many questions I wanted to get answered, um, which is understandable. And I probably the hardest moment that I've been through, well, one of the hardest was when I left those doctor's rooms and holding my partner's hand. And at this stage I was still all right. And as soon as I left those rooms and walked to my car, I just completely broke down in tears. Um, and and then Amber, my partner, broke down in tears. And I remember I just felt this like, this whole like, this is not fair type feeling. Um, and I was definitely scared. And uh, I just, yeah, I was vulnerable. Uh, I just didn't know what was going to happen. And it was, a, it was a difficult moment, just, you know, breaking down in tears and just realizing like, you know, I don't know what is going to happen from here. Yeah. And then I guess the next, I guess the next logical thing that you do then is, is that you once again have to go back to your parents and mm. yeah, no, and that's your family and, and your loved ones and close near you and kind of inform them of, of that news again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, Oh shit. Yeah. That's, that was one of the, it still is. It's just the worst thing you can think about doing is I got in the car and I kind of wiped off the tears and I said, well, I'm going to let my family know. And I was just trying to hold it together. And I'd, you know, called my mum and my dad. And as soon as I said it, and I remember, you know, good day, dude. My dad calls me, you know, how's, how's your day been? And I basically, you know, I said, oh, yeah, I've just been the doctor. And then as soon as I said it, I'm just like, you know, I've, I've got bowel cancer. And you could just tell from his voice and he tried to, you could just tell he was trying to hold back the tears. Um, and my mum, and it was the same that I, you know, calling up my dog got a twin brother and kind of letting him know. And you could just, actually saying it out loud 
to my family was just so difficult because it was, you could just tell how upset they were and sad and they were that I had to go through this again. And I just felt that pain from them. And I was just so emotionally upset that we all were. We're like, you mentioned before, we, we, we are a very tight family. And I think living in the state, not having them surrounding me as well was also difficult. So yeah, I still say to this day, one of the hardest things is actually breaking that news to say that I've got cancer for a second time and it's bowel cancer to your family. It's just a, a moment that, you know, you don't wish that you have to do as a bloke in his <laughs> mid to late twenties. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. And then, so treatment wise, um, what was the, so what, what stage were you at with the bowel cancer? Was it um, given a, uh, is, and I am, I need probably, I should know a bit more about cancer. I, I know quite a bit, but um, cause of the real work, but um, were you at stage stage two then still or yeah so look it, it hadn't spread um beyond the bowel which was the good news and that's why i'm when i'm just so passionate now about early detection and being aware of your body and and for young men and women to realize they're not invincible because you know if i had waited even three to six months the difference of having it contained to my bowel and uh, as opposed to spreading the survival rates that drastically change from say over 80% survival rate to less than 20 type of thing. So it's, it's, it's such a fine line. And that's why I had learnt a lot about my journey that I at least uh, to this day potentially could have saved my life. And, and I did get it early. Um, however, they did rush me in for surgery uh, two days after meeting with the, or finding out the news. And so I went in for surgery and removed, they wanted to remove my entire bowel. Yep. Um, but that would have meant I would have had to have a, a stoma and a colostomy bag for, bag for the rest of my life because yeah. uh, I wouldn't have been able to get it reversed because of my previous, um, I guess, retropenal lymph node dissection surgery and uh, too much going around my pelvic area that would have been probably too risky. Yeah. Um, that being said, I'm not out of the woods there either and I potentially might have to face that path in, in six months' time from now. But that being said, at the time, they said, look, okay, we'll try to remove as much as we can of your large bowel but still keep some intact. So it means that I didn't have to get that colostomy bag. And that's what they did. They uh, removed about, or he, the surgeon, removed about 90% of my colon. Yep. And uh, which is also another name for large bowel and basically stapled the rectum area to my last little bit of my <laughs> colon to my small bowel and, and kind of did, did what he had to do then. And, and that was, that was that. And he did an amazing job. And, I remember at that stage I woke up in the hospital and <laughs> I was thinking, this is actually pretty good. And I was recovering pretty well. And, and I remember the surgeon even came in. He's like, shit, you're doing really well, mate. And I was, you know, had all my pain relief and had the nasal gastric tube and the, uh, the catheter. And anyway, it was, I was recovering well from the surgery, but <laughs> unfortunately the, um, my story, which you're probably well aware, mate, takes another <laughs> unexpected turn. And yeah. just as when it looked like I was on the home stretch to, head home and recover, I um, yeah, hit another another hurdle. Yeah. And then, well, this is a, it's an emotional journey, man. Like it's, yeah, I know. It's bloody talk, talking back on it. You, you, you realize that. Until you really reflect and yeah, you understand the length of things. And, you know, and I've, I've listened to your, to, to your journey before. So I, you know, like you say, I know, I know everything, but, um, or I know what's, what you, what you guess you talk about, but, when you actually interview as well, it's a, it's, it's um, a different mindset. Definitely puts you into a different mindset. That's for sure. Yeah, no, for sure. Mate. Yeah. And I've you know, told this a few times now and, but even so like you say different things or pick up on different parts of your story every time you tell it. Um, yeah. And every time I do talk about it, like I'm now, you still talk about pretty emotional times and you relive it. Like no doubt, you know, that you're found with your, some of the things you talk about with your, your, your challenge that you're facing, you relive it almost. It, it doesn't, it's never any easier. <laughs> the more you talk about it, it still is still is pretty challenging. So yeah, that's definitely true. So look now, so look, I, yeah, I was recovering pretty well and my dad flew over from Adelaide. Uh, I had this surgery in Brisbane because the, the surgeon that I had was one of the top surgeons in, in Australia for this particular surgery. And he was very high regard, highly regarded. So look, we decided to have it in Brisbane. And I don't regret that, you know, we didn't have the immediate family support. However, 
we had certain family flying over at different times to to come support my you know amber and amber and me so yeah i was about four or five days into recovery and i i was sitting on the chair eating a, a sandwich or whatever they give you in hospital and i was feeling pretty good and i was stomaching food and and the plan was that i was going to be out in hospital um that afternoon so which was a remarkable turnaround um very quick recovery and my dad flew over like i mentioned and his plan was to to discharge me and take me home and settle me down on the couch and binge watch some netflix shows with me and and uh you know <laughs> talk talk bloke stuff and watch the footy and that type of stuff so that was the plan <laughs> and unfortunately yep. it didn't go to plan and as soon as my dad arrived he couldn't have scripted it he just arrived and sees me sitting there and and then I just started going downhill um, and it just, I started feeling real crook and I'm like, oh, that's obviously just part of all the, the painkillers, but you know, you know, yeah, you just assume it's just yeah part of it. Um, and yeah, it just started going downhill, but it wasn't just, all right, now I feel really bad. And it's like, all right, now I feel extremely crooked up to kind of lie down and it just kind of kept progressing in the next sort of hour yeah. that I knew something was up. It wasn't just a, all right, this is getting to a point now that I literally almost can't even talk because the pain is unbearable. Um, and look, I've, I've experienced a, a bit of pain in my, my sort of short life at that point. Absolutely. And it was probably the most pain I'd ever been in when it got to its worst. Uh, and it was so bad that these registrar doctors were injecting morphine straight into my stomach they were dosing me up on all the ketamine and morphine and just directly inserting it, uh, trying to relieve the pain and nothing helped relieve the pain. It was that bad. Um, and I'm like, ah, oh, this is not good. And that's when, that's when the nurse at the time called the, you know, the code blue button or the emergency button, which basically signaled the alarm thing. And it got all the, the current working registrar doctors at the time to, to come to my room. And I remember looking up and there were about seven, eight nurses and doctors all gathered around and, working out what to do (laughs) exactly kind of going all right what do we do next and that's when they kind of it was actually it was actually like an army bloody orders group where this head nurse took charge he's like no we'll go for a bloody emergency ct scan i want you guys to do this you guys to do that it was literally like a bloody action station buddy you know (laughs) everyone everyone kind of being tasked to different stuff so Look, it was, I was going downhill real quick and I was literally going in and out of consciousness almost because of the, the painkillers. They just dosed it up so high that I was basically almost passing out from the pain and the painkillers. And they got me through for an emergency T scan and kind of had to throw me through that. Um, and then they waged my surgeon who had seen me that morning and gone, oh mate, we'll try to get you out of here this afternoon. And then he knocked off for the day and went for a bike ride <laughs> And then he gets this wager from this, the current doctor or his registrar doctor at the time saying, you know, call hospital or whatever it was, um, CT scans. And so he quickly calls the hospital, goes to the CT scans and goes, shit, this is bad. And he's literally gone from where he was at the coffee shop with his, in his Lycra with his bike. He's gone and got a taxi to the hospital because he realized how serious it was met me there, met my dad whilst he was in his Lycra and quickly got changed into his scrubs and he got all the nurses on board, all the doctors said, no, we're going for surgery straight away. And at this stage, I had no idea it was how, like I said, I was hardly with it. Yeah. Um, to the point that I could not even sign the, the consent form for the surgery. Um, my dad later told me that the, the surgery literally on it had um, signed this for the, for the chance uh, in case I die. That was a, one of the the high risks of this surgery that he, he said, look, you need to sign this. And I couldn't. So here's my dad who's literally been here for a couple of hours and he's signing a bloody form for his son who's curled up in a ball in excruciating pain in case he dies from this emergency operation. And it was honestly looking back on it, I've got no doubt it would have been more of a difficult time for him yeah. than for me, just because I was so out of it. Yeah. Um, whereas he was completely conscious and just going, what the hell is happening to my son? Um, watching all this carry out and and I've, I've got the question before have you ever felt or have you ever felt like you're going to die and it was probably the only proper time in my life where sometimes you'd 
you almost kind of think, well, what if, what if, what if? But this was the, the first time in my life I was kind of lying there looking at my dad signing that form, getting rushed through for this emergency operation where I actually thought that, you know, this, this, could, this is probably going to be it or this could be it. Um, but it was one of those things. I didn't have enough time to process all that, but I did definitely think it. Um, and it was a yeah, pretty powerful moment in my life. And they basically yeah, rushed me off for this emergency surgery. And, and before I know it, I was, you know, back under, back under the knife. Um, so what did they discover when they did the CT scan? So what actually happened, because I've been opened up about six times now in, uh, in my life. Um, have they at least gone through the same scar? <laughs> they have. So it's fun. Like, you don't have oh, sitting there. I say it's funny, but my dad yeah, no, often jokes about it. He says, no, no, no. My dad often jokes about it though, saying it would have been bloody easier if the very first surgery, I just got a zipper and then you could have just buddy every time since you could just pull the zipper. Down. <laughs> Definitely. And it's, um, yeah, so it's remarkable. If, if you look at my scar now, I've, um, I've tried to take another photo, if you know, but it's literally remarkable to think that they've gone through this six times and the, yeah. the skill of these surgeons is incredible um, how they can just literally, like, I don't know, slicing a piece of butter, they're cutting through human scar tissues. And so, yeah, basically getting sidetracked a bit. But what actually happened was because I'd been opened up so many times, there was so much scar tissue surrounding all my parts of my what remained of my bowel and my small bowel my intestines so i suppose picture it like a a spider web so i basically had a spider web going on in there with all wrapping around all the different scar tissues and so it's quite unique because not many people get opened up so many times in the same spot but i had so every time my stomach had to recover it got more scar tissue more scar tissue more scar tissue so just as I felt good and I was about to, to discharge from hospital, what actually had been, I guess, underneath being kind of working towards was the remaining bowel was twisting around itself and all the scar tissue. Um, so it basically blocked the entire bowel in different parts of the bowel. And it was kind of like a complete mess. Like it was like, a, like I'd swallowed a bloody hand grenade and it's just gone off my stomach and it's just like everything was almost about to explode type of thing. Um, just like twisted and constricted into. Correct. Like it's just all sorts of shit going on in there. Like it was just, it was a mess and it kind of, it was just reached that tipping point of it was that hence the pain had just gotten so much that I just going, holy shit. And so unbelievably the, the same surgeon worked his magic and then goes under the knife for, for five, six hours. And, and, um, you know, you can imagine that weight for my partner and, you know, my family yeah. knowing that that generally was an emergency operation. They weren't, who knows what was going to happen. And look, he re- remarkably got through it all, um, somehow fixed it all up, straightened it all up, removed what he had to remove and worked his magic. Like I'm just in awe of some of these surgeons. Uh, and it was, yeah, it was, it was un- because he had played around with my bowel and my stomach and everything so much. Like he literally had to manhandle it <laughs> like to kind of stuff it all in. And it was un- unbelievable. Um, it was the next two to three weeks was the worst buddy <laughs> time recovering. I could ever buddy wish on anyone because I, I physically could not eat or drink even a sip of water for basically almost two, three, or almost three weeks. Um, and so I was literally lying in hospital because what he had to do is he literally had to wait for my stomach to wake up. And because it had been handled so drastically, it just did not wake up. And he's kind of, every day he would come in when I was recovering and he'd be like, how is it now? And nope, still nothing. And like, he just could not hear or see anything. And if I took three sips of water, it would basically, because I didn't have a, a functioning stomach, it would just come up with this bile green vomit. Um, and so that was the case for, like I said, over two weeks, every day was the same, every single day. How did you go with your lips? Like your lips just... Oh, it was literally, I had to get like ice and just like rub it on my lips. I had to get like those um, lemonade icy poles and just kind of like half suck it for a bit. Um, and to obviously make me live, they had to put this nutrients directly in, intravenously this sort of TPN nutrients, which gave me the bare essential nutrients to make me, my body not shut down. Yeah. Um, Cause we need water and food obviously to live. So it was one of those moments and it was, I was literally withering away and I, 
I went into hospital about 90 kilos, um, pretty fit guy, a bit of muscle, you know, a bit of probably too many bloody beers and pies as well, <laughs> as we all do. And Mate, like the best of us. <laughs> like the best of us. So I went in at, at 20 times more pies than you, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. I've always been a skinny bloke. So it's, but yeah, 90 kilos, I'm, I'm relatively tall. So it was kind of, uh, but then I left when I eventually left hospital, I was about 68. Um, so, you know, I lose over 20 kilos in there just cause I, I was literally withering away and I was, I already am skin and bone, but I was literally like a buddy skin to bone. And yeah, it was pretty, pretty full on. And I remember I started, that's when I, cause you know, when you're in hospital and you see incremental improvements each day. Yeah, definitely. And, and you kind of go, I'm getting better or I'm recovering better. And you might have a few little down days or hiccups, but overall you, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. I could not see that light at the end of the tunnel. So that was my problem was when the doctor came in, it wasn't a, yeah, you're better today. It was a, there is literally no change. Um, and it got to a point where the doctor never told me this because my mental state was very f- fragile as it was, but he told my dad, because dad said, look, how actually is it? Like, this is getting, you know, you know, this has gone on a bit. And he actually said, look, Simon, I'm worried. He said, I'm actually really worried. And he never told me that. He, he always came in and said, no, no, it's all right. We'll get there, obviously, to try keep me, you know, my spirits yeah. high. Yep. Um, but he yeah, told my dad that he was actually worried that this was taking a lot longer than he thought. And you can imagine if I'd heard that, though, it wouldn't have been the best for my mental state. Yeah, definitely. But you got through it in the end. and. Yeah, look, mate, like anything, you know, I'd, you eventually get through those dark, dark times and, yeah, the mental state uh, was yeah, extremely difficult. Um, and, and yeah, I'd, I eventually got through it. At the time, like, I could not think of one positive, one happy, like, I just couldn't think of anything. My little highlight for the day was when I sat under the shower for that five minutes because I just forgot what was happening and I just felt that water rush over me. And it's funny now that we have probably what one, two showers a day and we just take something as trivial or simple as a shower. We take it for granted. But at that point in time, that was my one <laughs> highlight in my life is that I kind of just felt that, I guess, freedom under the shower. And yeah, so look, I eventually did get through it, but i tell you what, I, I did not think it would come. And eventually that day came when, I said, oh, so you go. I tried to stomach and all of a sudden, so I actually just had that glass of water. It's okay. Have a little bit more. And actually, I think I can, and the doctor said, I think I can hear a little bit of movement. Oh, here we go. I finally feel, feel like I can hear some movement in your stomach. And then I stomached an icy pole. And I'm just like, no, he's not vomiting. And and um, and then I stomached something else. And it was kind of that like. Does that little ha- bit by little bit. Yeah, incremental. And then it was like that hallelujah moment where I'm just like, holy shit, I've just had bloody, you know, a muesli bar or whatever. And I haven't, but he's like this awesome feeling of, oh my God, I'm actually, I'm seeing that light at the end of a tunnel, which I, I never saw. So I, um, yeah, basically got, uh, yeah, got to the stage where they said, look, look, you're doing, doing well. And, and I eventually got discharged from hospital and it was, um, yeah, I think it was, yeah, over, yeah, three, four weeks in the end, all up in hospital and eventually got through it. Uh, which yeah. which was amazing, and then I spent the next uh, <laughs> lengthy time on the couch recovering from home. Yeah, and you know we we just got to the, I guess the good end of the story <laughs> after all that all that journey. But we're going to delve back into some of the harder the harder parts. And so we spoke about off air, and you mentioned to me that you were whilst you're in hospital throughout all this period, you were both first and second cancer you I guess you were really closed off and you become I guess almost shutting yourself off from the world and and you were putting on essentially a brave face for everyone else but you were dealing with a lot of I guess demons on the inside and yeah absolutely you take us through a bit of that about how your journey went with I guess with that moment those moments when I can't even imagine it to be honest mate I've, I've been through a lot of shit and I can't even imagine that I can't picture in my brain what it would be like to be in hospital and have to have to live through that yeah look it's i had never experienced any mental illness or depression before then and and it was never i guess to the point as unfortunately a lot of people get to and obviously someone like yourself and it, it's, it's very very debilitating and tragic at times but i definitely got to that point where I was, I was definitely depressed um 
in hospital. And yeah. it was just that strange feeling of, of, like I said, where I couldn't actually see any positive or nothing actually made me happy. Um, and I was just so down, but I still tried to put on a bit of a brave face in front of my partner and my family because I just didn't want to make them any more upset or any more hurt than they're already in. So when everyone was around, I'd still try and put on it. They knew that I was struggling, but not to the extent that I probably was struggling because I just tried to be that little bit of, you know, upbeat, brave type of person. It's like just purely for them. But as soon as they all left at nine o'clock each night, that was when I just break down in tears, basically most nights, um, you know, try and get in a comfortable position in bed and try ask the nurses for as many painkillers as you can. And I know one of your episodes, mate, you touch on, you know, how dangerous those painkillers can be because you get yeah. so used to them. Um, and I was exactly that. And I tried to get as many as I could and just to kind of numb that pain, both physical and mental and kind of put me to sleep each night. And that was kind of my routine for that point in time. It was a pretty dark time in my life because not only did I have the physical side of what I was going through, but then combined with the mental side, <laughs> combined with being in hospital, it was very difficult. But like I said, I never, up until well and after all of this, I never actually opened up to the extreme or extent of it uh, until I realized that, well, it's actually a pretty important thing to talk about. Yeah. Bloody oath, mate. It is. And then, so how did you ever have a moment, I guess, um, either when you were, either when you were stuck in hospital there or when you were in hospital or, or post post hospital, when you got out, did you ever have a moment where you sat there and you actually got a, a chance to take a breath and to reflect on things and to, I guess, reflect on your mindset and what it is that was going through your brain, what you, what it is that you were thinking about those thoughts. I mean, we spoke about it earlier about how you looked at yourself in the mirror and you, and you couldn't believe who you were looking at and you didn't want to see that, I guess. So was there a time when you actually eventually got to sit down and reflect and, and actually start to think about these things and say, Hey, I probably need to change these things in the way I'm thinking about myself. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's, as you know, it can be a pretty bloody scary place when you're in that mindset because it's so dangerous that the mind is so powerful. Um, and if, if we don't, if, if we let the mind get on top of us, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it is a dangerous place to be in as, as you know, better than anyone. And I think once I kind of had time to reflect, like you said, looking back on it, or once I, the big one is once I saw that bit of the light at the end of the tunnel and by no means do I, I still have days where I, I struggle a bit. Um, I'm still not out of the woods. I'm still not this free, happy, positive person all the time. Like I still, I'm still trying to work on it. And I've been through, through many psychologists since then. And, and I've really tried to talk about it and really try work on it. It's um, yeah. Looking back on that and reflecting on it. It was one of those things that I definitely did get, let the mind get the better of me absolutely um not just for parts of the day or or a day it was permanently for that time frame and it was a pretty uh like i mentioned just a couple of times dangerous place to be in and it wasn't until i realized that i couldn't keep this closed and i really had to you know, I, I preach to everyone to be open and honest and share your stories. And I really wanted to help people through my testicular cancer and bowel cancer journeys. But then here I was being so close with my mental health, almost pretending to myself that I was fine. Um, but then I thought, actually, that's just almost being hypocritical because I want people to be open and share their stories and learn from what I've gone through. But here I am being closed off and not expressing that I actually still struggle day to day and I still really did struggle in hospital and and uh the you know the dangers of mental illness I wasn't open with that yeah. until very recently I've actually come out and actually thought that actually I need to be more open with this because it is a it is an important issue and I think once I'd got all that off my chest and I realized how common it was and and I'd spoke to people about it and they thought shit mate understandably what you've gone through like shit like I don't know how I would have gone through that. And you kind of talk to people about it. And like I said, talking to my psychologist and look, the first psychologist I had, I didn't necessarily get along with for whatever reason. And the next one I saw, I connected really well with. And, you know, I always encourage people, whether it's, you know, medical um, 
you know, medical doctors or psychologists, etc. you're always entitled to get a second, third, you know, viewpoint. You don't have to just choose the one that you've been given type of thing. So I remember really connecting with him and opening up about it. And it was yeah. one of those things, yeah, reflecting on that. I, I, I can really see, I can really see the, the lowest point of my life at that point in time to where I've got now. And I've still got a lot of work to do, uh, but I think we all do. Um, and I think it's just important to actually like I, mindfulness is so important. And I think if you can identify your problems, that's half the battle. And if you yeah. can actually kind of say, look, I'm struggling for whatever reason, whether it's mental health or anything at all, if you can actually be mindful of identifying that, I think that's half the battle. And I think that's what I found very, very, uh, enlightening and and beneficial for me yeah and so your next i guess phase of your journey is 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 coming out the other side and being able to uh do what you're doing now and and take that head on to be able to um promote wellness and to promote a healthy life and and then you got stuck into the 25 style Life podcast so how did firstly how did that come about the podcast how did you and did you is this a concept that you because i actually haven't asked you guys um, yeah. how you first started it, but is this a concept that you came up with and then you brought Willie on or is it, how did, how did it work? Yeah. So basically I've, cause I've had so much time recovering and I kind of, um, I think I wanted something first and foremost for me and my own mental healing. So I wanted something that I could do to, to kind of almost distract myself, but also to kind of, yeah, feel that I was, you know, benefiting my myself, not just physically, like, you know, going for walks and runs, but really mentally, how am I going to, how am I going to help myself mentally? And that's when I thought about, well, first and foremost, I want to use what I've gone through to try and help others. And that was kind of, I don't know how I was going to get there, but I wanted to. So, you know, sharing my stories is obviously the first part, writing a Facebook post, you know, those types of things, sharing my stories. And then from there, once I shared my stories, I realized the feedback I was getting from people was overwhelming, not just the support part of, you know, mate, you know, thanks so much for being so open. I hope you're well, but you would get the messages from people saying, look, you know, I'm going through my own struggles. I'm going through this, you know, or do you have advice for this and certain bits like that. And I realized actually there's, I feel like I can make it, make the best of of a very bloody shitty situation in, and help others through that. So it kind of went a step further and I kind of got linked up to some charities and I'm a big supporter of the Jody Lee foundation, which is a, a bowel cancer uh, prevention charity in Adelaide. And they do fantastic things for bowel cancer. And I'm also a, a proud ambassador for Movember. And obviously they're all, all things, mental health being, sorry, all things, men's health being, you know, mental health, testicular cancer and prostate cancer. And I think the more I got involved in foundations and sharing my story and talking to people, the better I felt. And it was kind of that like awesome feeling of knowing I'm helping others, but in turn that's helping me. Yeah. Um, which was awesome, awesome feeling. And I suppose that's when I eventually thought that actually would be awesome to, there was, there's so many incredible inspirational survivors out there, whether that's, you know, cancer or mental illness or, you know, whatever all walks of life there are just incredible people out there with incredible stories and i thought i want to somehow talk to these people so other people listening can go actually i'm not alone first and foremost or the big one even if it changes their perception on life and i'm a big one for we often get so caught up in the small things in life that sometimes we just have to stand back and realize actually is this really worth worrying about? Like, is it actually, is it a, is it a big issue or am I just creating the issue for the sake of it? Preaching to the choir here, mate. <laughs> oh, mate, we all do it and I still do it. But the point is we can definitely continue to grow and learn from it. And so I found myself listening to these inspirational stories of people going, holy shit, my story is nothing in comparison. Like, can you believe what this person's been through? And it kind of made me more grounded and realize that actually I'm all right. I'm doing okay. Like he's this poor person here. And then if you spoke to that person, they'd be the same and go, well, look, to be honest with you, we live in Australia. You know, we don't live in these third world countries where, you know, we've got available drinking water, like something is as sort of large scale as that. So I kind of thought I want a platform where I can speak to these incredible people, share their incredible stories and 
I guess, make a difference to the lives of others. And that's kind of how 25 Stay Alive was born, I suppose. And I guess the name, <laughs> just a quick side point, the name for it is it was more, I just felt there was so much emphasis around 50-year-olds. And once you turn 50, that's when people take their health seriously. That's when people start, you know, going to the doctors. That's when they get their, yeah, you know, complimentary screening kit for bowel cancer or their women get their mammogram test for their breasts. And I feel like so many people I spoke to, every time I told them my story, they'd go, oh shit, aren't you too young for all of that? Uh, those were the same comments that I'd always get. And I thought there is so much marketing campaigns and information out there for people in their 50s, 60s who are older about taking their health seriously and longevity and how they live to you know their older elderly years and i thought why is it 50 i said that train of thought or that mindset shouldn't happen at 50 and i thought you know there's milestones when you get your 18th birthday your 21st birthday and then it's kind of increments of 30 40 and i thought there should be a milestone where it's almost psychologically that when you're in your mid-20s you realize that you're no longer a teenager, you're no longer a young, young bloke or a young female, you're kind of growing up a bit more, you're more of a mature adult and that's when you should start to, to take your life seriously in, in, in terms of the medical sense or the looking after yourself uh, and realizing you're not invincible. So that's when I kind of just, that's kind of where 25 stay alive, obviously it's, it's, it's catchy but that's kind of where that was born. I like uh, the is, concept as well. Like I, yeah, and so that's, that's when it was born I suppose to, to kind of fast track that a bit. That's when I I knew what I wanted to do. And I discovered, as you would have discovered, and as everyone's probably listening's discovered, Willie, uh, an incredible story. And I, I reached out to him initially and said, mate, I've got this idea for a podcast. Here's my story. I followed you for a bit. You know, you seem like such a bloody inspirational, you know, legend what you've gone through, but more so your positive mindset. I said, can I interview you plain and simple? And he said, yeah, mate, for sure. Let, let's, you know, let's get in touch. And that's when I called him. <laughs> and then in the space of 10 minutes talking to Willie, I realized that, shit, this guy's buddy, I can't believe he's only buddy 22. At that stage, he was at 22. I'm like, he's... I know. It is incredible, isn't it? it it's unbelievable. Like, he was just, some of the things he was saying, he was so wise and he was just so, you know, positive, but he was so honest and raw with what he was saying and basically everything he stood for, I stood for. And, and then I guess that the tipping point was when he said he's looking to do a series of kind of interviews where he interviews other people and stuff. And I said, look, mate, I'm just going to go out the limb here and say, <laughs> it's a very crazy thought, but instead of doing our separate things, cause we've both got similar mindsets. I'm like, and instead of me interviewing you just once and just having you for that one hour, <laughs> I suppose I'm like, I want more Willie. <laughs> Not the, that makes no, it's, it makes perfect sense anyway. So that probably doesn't didn't come. But, um, <laughs> I, um, I might. <laughs> Oops. But yeah, that's when I said to him, "Mate, do you want to do a podcast together? Where we basically the two of us. It's quite unique. One's an officer, one's a, a soldier. We've both got the connection to the army. We've both been connected with cancer." And I then, said, and for people who don't know about the army, that is unique. Like it's, it's. I mean, I got heaps of mates that are that are soldiers and stuff like, that, and heaps of people I'm really close with and stuff. But um, mm. it's not unique to have that real bond mm. uh, within within the military for officers to, to soldiers so it is it, it, yeah unless, unless you're in certain regiments um within the army or all the other or the wider defense force um special forces uh the submarines over in the navy mm. they're all in such close proximity for sure they become really close but you know in the wider army um there's a big void between mostly uh not always because you know we're both living proof that there's not but um but there is mostly a big void between between officers and soldiers. You just live you live two different lives. You um you know you two different career pathways, and so you correct. And now I think you're spot on. You're spot on, mate. And that's why I also thought it was it was so almost refreshing that you've yeah. got this you know young officer who's gone through it. I've been through, but then you've got this younger soldier who's been through it. He's gone through almost breaking down that barrier of rank. Um, you know, age demographic everything it's kind of just like here are two different guys in the sense of the word with different i guess life journeys kind of coming together and uniting as one to create this podcast where they both have this passion and vision to to try help others and make a difference in whatever way they can so i think that in itself is quite powerful that we've kind of 
putting everything else aside first and foremost and going, what's, you know, why are we, why are we doing this? And I think that's why it's, um, it's quite an awesome, awesome moment when I said that. And Willie said, yeah, mate, that sounds excellent. It kind of, you know, this is, we've only been going for what, three months or so. So it's still pretty, pretty new. We've only done about sort of 10 episodes or so, but it's one of those things that we're both just learning as we go. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's just an awesome, awesome journey that, you know, we've both got our full-time jobs in the army. I'm, I've still got a lot of hurdles to overcome and just started some new treatment. And, and Willie's obviously, if, if everyone doesn't know Willie's story, he's clearly got some hurdles to overcome, but we kind of just have that passion to come home each day and still just try to put some time into these podcasts. Because like I said, when you feel like you actually are making a difference, it's so powerful uh, and so rewarding as well. So that's kind of how the, the 25 Stalive podcast was born. <laughs> and then for those people listening in, if you, if you haven't already done it um, at the end of this episode, go back and listen to episode 12. Willie's journey is incredible. And H- Hughes is exactly right. Like it's for him at his age to have the mindset he does. Like, fuck, I remember when I was his age, man, I was just oh, mate. Living the dream, drinking piss. Yeah. <laughs> that drink, oh. life, as we always say. But <laughs> no, no, I, I often forget. Like I, when I'm chatting to him, I often forget. You know that actually, fucking, I, I kind of take a step back and go, the bloke he's, you know, he's so young still, yeah. um, and he's going through something that you know none of us would ever like to go through. In fact, that you, you know, you've essentially got an end point and you know when that end point almost is or roughly about um and it's a lot earlier than most people would ever like to to hope it's a very unique moment and i often forget that when i'm chatting to him because like, because he is such a, a grounded positive guy but no it's um yeah it's, it's awesome to to have him part of the show and i he's uh you know speaks very highly of of yourself obviously in the bloke cast from when he sat down with you because i think you know you also share very similar traits in the fact that, you know, you want a, a platform to help others. And I think it's, um, it's inspiring to see blokes out there doing that, you know, that they're, they're, they're kind of taking that, that step to really want to help other, other people. And, you know, although we are for men and women and you're, you know, predominantly more so for, for men, it's still just an awesome thing to see that there are these podcasts that now exist like the bloke cast and like 25 stay alive, which had, yeah, which is awesome. And that's, that's kind of what I saw is that um, I saw a gap in, they, they, I mean, they, there's heaps of other podcasts out there that do men's, men's health and those types of things. Um, but, you know, you've got to, to be honest, you need to look to find them. They're not easily, mm. they're not easily readily, readily available. Yeah. Um, but I saw what was readily available at the top of the list was all, was all about women's health. And I am a huge, huge advocate for women's health, especially women's mental health. Like I'm so heavily involved and behind that like it's it's huge but i i just saw a gap that there was nothing addressing men and you know and it's a gap that we this is why you say that the podcasts are, are very similar they have the similar traits and we have similar personalities because it's a gap we both you know all the three of us together really realized i mean i know yours does address you know uh you guys have females on your podcast and, and we'll probably have women on here as well like that's, yeah there's nothing stopping that um but a lot of the, I guess, your both of yours and Willie's experiences are, are more aimed at towards the men kind of health, men's health. And, yeah, for sure. And, and there's just that huge gap there. There was just nothing that was just readily available that you could just go in and you could find like in iTunes, top 10 or iTunes, you know, new and upcoming. You couldn't go and see a podcast about men's mental health. Like, yeah, for sure, mate. It wasn't it. And mm. that men's health, you know, and, and you couldn't go in, you wouldn't be able to go in and find one in the top top charts about cancer about you know looking at cancer and and overcoming the struggles and the journeys that are involved in cancer and yeah no, absolutely mate couldn't just, agree more that need to be filled and you know as much as and we have i i actually am surprised my split is like a 60 40 like between men and women so yeah wow it's not a heavily dominated like men's men's podcast i have heaps of women that listen to this and and they love it and um they you know a lot give me feedback in the sense that hey I'm getting so much out of it because I can apply it to my husband and then all my partner. Oh yeah, for sure. Then on the, on the flip side, a lot of them say, you know, what I speak about isn't, you know, although the context is with men, it's not confined to men. <laughs> you know, it's, you look at, we were talking about, you were talking about statistics before about mental health. It's Black Dog Institute. They released a report. I think it was last year or the year before it was either 17 or 18. And that report 
comes out and says that, you know, in Australia, at some point in your life, 50% of people are going to go through some type of mental health issue. Wow. That may not necessarily be depression, may not be anxiety, but it could be bipolar, post-traumatic. It could be anything like there's this, cause there's such a, obviously that, that is a broad statement because there's so many mental health kind of issues that you can go to. But yeah. Still, yeah. It's still bloody alarming though, isn't it? Yeah. You know, like, and that, so you look at the, look at the person next to you. It's, it's your, it's your them. <laughs> mm. And so it's so normal, so regular that like, um, you know, and you, and you talk about, um, I've heard you guys speak about before and, and we, I've definitely spoke about on the podcast before is that you, you feel like that you're the only one that's going through this. And, and, you know, you were, you were talking before about listening to other people's stories and realizing, Oh shit, I'm actually pretty good comparative with other people. And, it's the same with kind of mental health. You kind of, you, and when you're in the time in that moment of those dark kind of areas, you feel like there's no one else that can kind of understand you. No one else has your story, mm. your story. Cause yeah. your story is never going to be the same as anyone else's story. Yeah. No, I could, couldn't agree more, mate. What's going on in your head is exactly the same. It's just, there's a different context. That's it. You know, there's, there's actually no different to what, how you're struggling with, you know, your story and I'm struggling with my story. Willie's struggling with his story. There's no difference in what we're going through in our heads. It's just the context of the voice that's in your head changes and, and the messaging within your head is different. But the actual feelings, the actual, you know, side effects, the actual what's going on, the adversity you're going through is actually exactly the same. It's just a different context. That's what I'm trying to break down is that, hey, I can get cancer survivors on here. I can get I can get veterans. I can get pro athletes. I can get Olympians, Paralympians. I can get business owners. And we can literally sit here and we can piece this apart and we can go through it. And you can see that it doesn't matter what episode you come in and listen to, people are going through the same shit. Like it's, yeah. It's all the same. It's Absolutely, just, mate. It's it's yeah, very, very good point. It's that you. How it's in your head. It is. Yeah, the, the, the mind's the mind's bloody powerful. Yeah, it is. It is bloody powerful, and that's why I love your guys' podcast. So, twenty five stay alive. Where is it? Where do you want to take it to next? What's your goal? So, look, mate. The like I said, we're still pretty, pretty fresh, young, whatever you want to call it, uh, yeah. inexperienced two guys that you know we're learning. No, like I'm everyone, just, don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah, but it's good. It's 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 fun. It's uh, exciting. But at the moment, we're where we obviously both live interstate, so it's it's we're trying to kind of when we can, we both have our busy lives as everyone does to when we're both available um, to try to always put time aside for the podcast and and look we we just want to continue to grow it I suppose and, and spread it to spread these powerful messages to as many people as we can and you know we get these survivors and these people on you know we've had quadriplegics and and these guys on board who just have such powerful messages that every single person will get something out of it. And we just kind of want to get that to as many people as possible for the pure fact that, you know, it, it will make a difference to the lives of others. So that's kind of the, the goal is that, look, we don't know where it's going to go and where it's going to take us. But hey, if we can, you know, like you would have no doubt received so many messages from these people to say, look, listening to your podcast has helped me so much through this problem or, I had one guy who messaged me saying, as a result of listening to my story, he got, he got checked and got diagnosed with early stage testicular cancer. Um, things like that where you realize that actually it is worthwhile. Um, Cause people listening probably don't realize that a simple hour, two hour episode, whatever episode of a podcast, there's a lot that goes into to a, the time doing it, the research in, in the topic or your guests that, the editing takes hours and hours and, yeah. and then publishing it all and then promoting it's, it's, it takes a long time. And for, for most people, there's not really any monetary incentive, um, you know, early days at all. It's more, they do it for their passion and their will to, cause they, for example, Brendo in my case, cause they want to help others. Um, people don't realize that, that we also have our full-time jobs and it's, it's, yeah. it, it can be time consuming. So look at the moment, it's take every day as it comes. And we're recently been invited for a, a road show, you could call it that, where the two of us are giving, a, 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 I guess, presentations about the podcast and our stories um, in Canberra to the Australian Defence Force Academy. So we're kind of keen to explore more, I guess, live, almost live Q&A podcasts in a way. We go and do some guest talking around to different organisations. And once again, not expecting any, any monetary side at all for those types of things. It's more, it's just a different challenge and exciting moment for us so we can continue to grow and expand as 
has a podcast and also yeah keeps keep spreading the messages so that's kind of the the relatively short-termish future for us at the moment which is awesome yeah and then that is unreal i, I love the whole idea about live um we're gonna get, we're gonna get stuck on a sidetrack here but i love the whole <laughs> idea about the live kind of the live podcasting and, and doing it elsewhere one thing i really want to do eventually is get musicians on and, and be able to have interview a musician like paul kelly or someone like that and how then at the end of the episode he plays how to make gravy like and yeah that's such a good yeah that's yeah I'd, um, mate, I'd be tuning in so. <laughs> <bloody oath. laughs> listen to that song on repeat i love that song but uh, anyway <laughs> uh so for for you then so what what is what lies ahead for you now well in terms of your own health and and in terms of scans that you've got coming up and, and those types of so yeah so i guess yeah a bit of a sidetrack to the podcast yeah so the, the my current health um i've recently started some new treatment which is uh it's called a vedolizumab which is like a biologic suppressant uh and basically it's you go into hospital for a couple of hours and it's still intravenously done and it's still attacks your immune system it's still a cytotoxic drug and it's it's not great as far as long-term side effects and makes me pretty fatigued but you know but by, by, by no means is it anything like chemo or anything but it still does knock you around a little bit um but it's meant to target my inflammation so basically early on in my story i mentioned how i kept a small part of my large bowel unfortunately that's still very um very much inflamed and there's still lots of different little signs of dysplasia and suspicious activity going on there and basically the doctor said to me look mate you're already at such a high risk of keeping that bow when we probably should have removed it um it's basically if you don't treat the inflammation it's more of a when you get another colon cancer or bowel cancer not if um so he basically said look it's it's pretty serious and if if you ever did get bowel cancer again and it spread then you know you know better than anyone it's we're not talking about you know your bowel anymore we're talking about life and death so it's um pretty yeah pretty i guess pivotal moment in my life where i've got he's kind of given me six months to get on top of it yeah. and if in six months i've changed my diet i'm on this medication I'm, on, I'm doing as much as i can if in six months there's still too much going on there's still inflammation there's still stuff in my bowel then he's just going to go look mate we're going to just remove the bowel um and then that's when i talked about and then unfortunately i have to have a, a stoma or a colostomy bag probably for the rest of my life uh, but in the scheme of things when we're talking life and death having a bit of a, a bag you know people live normal happy lives with those so it's of i think that's kind of what i'm bracing myself towards i'm very much i, I plan for the worst um purely because <laughs> with my journey i've realized that you know there's one thing being uh, i guess optimistic but uh, i also need to be realistic too which i know willie always touches on that which is it's a very true point that i'll plan for that and hopefully i can do everything i can to not go down that path but if i do if it means i don't get cancer again then obviously that's the main important part so look that's my kind of health side of things go with my current bowel cancer uh, recovering all of that um as far as my mental side i've obviously touched on that in this episode that i'm continue to work on that and i know i'm definitely got a way to go with it but i think i'm getting there too with really kind of um being more grounded in in what what really means the most in my life at the moment and to me that's obviously first and foremost my health and then then my partner and my future with with her and then obviously you know family and everything like that and then career so i, I kind of realized that i just really appreciate the things that matter in my life and, and i'm just continually working on the the whole mental health space because it's it's a never-ending kind of battle with with things like that as you know better than anyone brendo and it's something that we all should be working on even if we don't have any i guess noticeable issues with it because mental health mental health you know it's it's no different to your physical health everyone seems to work on their physical health all the time but they often neglect their mental health so that's kind of where i'm at at the moment mate as far as my my physical and mental health goes and and like i said i'm, I'm just grateful that i'm here where i am today you know talking to you doing what i'm doing and and overall i, I can't complain too much considering where i've gone and what i've gone through and and feeling you know pretty good at the moment so that's the main thing yeah and if you could pass on any advice to blokes out there listening um probably girls out there listening as well because um you know like we say like you said before breast cancer is one of the is the biggest killer in terms of cancers in the world but um if you could pass on any advice to them what would what would it be and it doesn't necessarily just have to be about cancer it can be about life in general but what would you pass on yeah look i've got a kind of a, a two-prong for that one and 
the first one when it comes to physical, it's especially for the novices, what the 25 style up podcast kind of advocates is that for young men and women, when or you're not invincible and that's the biggest one whether that be anything to do with being in tune with your body don't put off going to see a doctor or you know just realizing that the actions that you do when you're younger you're not invincible and i suppose that's the big message i want people who are listening to this is to just kind of go you know what you should be so grateful for the life that you currently have life is so precious but it can be taken away so quickly and i think if you realize that you're not invincible and to really kind of take your health more seriously, I think that's such an important step. And that will also set you up for success later on in life. Uh, Cause you know, you might be fit and healthy now. You could have nothing wrong with you at all. That's fine. But just be mindful of it that to go, Hey, you know what? People like me or like Brenda or like Willie or these people, things happen whether it is physical or mental or whatever and if you have that mindset now in your 20s or 30s or 40s one day if something does happen whether it be cancer or whatnot you'll at least set yourself up for success that you know what you'll hopefully get on top of it before anything i guess before anything bad happens or too bad happens so i think that's the biggest one as far as yeah. the, the, the physical health goes is that ladies and gents we're not invincible life's precious don't take it for granted um but then on the the side flip of that is is perspective um, i'm a big one with perspective uh, and in particular and i still do it and i'm still guilty of it that we often find ourselves worrying about trivial things and i think i have f- touched on that in this episode uh, but it's the big one and if you know you take one thing away from this it's that there are more important things in life that quite often at that point in time when you might be worrying about being stuck in traffic or, uh, you know, little things like that in life or finances or relationships or things like that. It's, as we've touched on, the mind's so powerful. And I think if we could all just be a bit more grounded in perspective and realise that, you know what, our lives are pretty good. My life, for example, is pretty good. I think that's a very powerful part with the, with the human psychology. And it's something that I, I try and I'm trying to learn myself and I'm trying to get better at and no doubt everyone can take something away from from that, whether it's listening to my story or listening to other people's stories or listening to, to Brendo and what he does with the bloke cast. Um, so they're kind of my big ones. The whole, you know, you're not invincible. Take your health seriously. Go get checked if something's not up. And also um, the, the more the, the mental philosoph- philosophical side is the whole perspective piece and, and realising that, you know, we're pretty lucky that to all be where we are today and, and really focus on what matters in life, I suppose. And that's kind of what I'd like people listening uh to, to take away yeah it's perfect mate and the last question i ask all my guests is what does being a healthy bloke mean to you so a healthy bloke for me you know the, the easy answer would be obviously i'm currently i wouldn't say i'm healthy as far as my physical health uh with what's going on <laughs> but i think it goes a lot further than just your, your physical health of of you know yeah my gut's playing up yeah i've gone through two bouts of cancer uh yeah i'm eating a very healthy diet yes i exercise all those things which we know uh you know is good for anyone let alone for me in my current situation but a healthy bloke to me is a, a, a bloke who is in tune with their body enough to be vulnerable in the fact of going to seek help when they need it, whether that be physically, like I said, to go get a testicle checked out or mentally, whether they're open enough and brave enough to realize that, you know what, I need help with my mental state or wherever I'm at. I think to me that personifies what a healthy bloke is because they realize the importance of their health and that they're willing to do whatever they can to improve their health. And I'm a firm believer is that any person in the world can always improve on their health. And so I think being mindful of that and having that, like I I keep touching on the mindfulness part, I think that's so important. So to me, a healthy bloke is someone who doesn't just look after their physical health and their mental health, but they're also proactive with it. So they actually go and, you know, fix it if things need fixing or they're they're proactive in in getting checked or, or, or seeking help. And there is no shame in seeking help. 
whether it be for, for anything. So I think that's that uh, to me that personifies a healthy bloke. Yeah, definitely, mate. Mate, it's unreal. It's been an unreal journey of an episode, and you, mate, you're just an incredible bloke. And thank you for first for taking the time to to come on the podcast, but secondly, thank you for everything you're doing. Like you, you're doing an incredible thing. People need to get out there, jump on if you haven't already, because um, we mentioned it before in episode 12. If you haven't already, jump on, listen to 25 Stay Alive, subscribe to it, put it in your favorites, you know, so it pops up every every week or every time they release a new episode and, and get that on board because what they're doing over there is incredible. And thank you again, mate, for, for everything. No worries, Brendo. It's, uh, it's been an absolute privilege to be on your show and, and uh, both Willie and me can't wait to, to have you on the 25 Star Lab podcast because you're equally just an absolute legend of a bloke and what you're doing with the bloke cast is amazing and we can't wait to, to I guess, flip the roles, mate, and we can uh, talk, hear more about your incredible story as well. So, no, thanks for having me on your show, mate. Uh, awesome, mate. Awesome. Thanks, heaps. Okay. Thank you all so much for tuning in again to another episode of The Blokecast. I hope you really enjoyed it, and I hope we'll catch you next week. As we said in the intro to the podcast, if you want to be featured as Legend of the Week, then please jump onto iTunes. Please jump onto Facebook. Give us a rating. Give us a review. It truly, truly, truly helps. I cannot stress how much it does help us grow even more than we are. We are doing okay. You know, we're sitting here now, 20 episodes in, uh, nearly, I think we're over 11,000 downloads. Uh, so we're doing all right. You know, we're, we're not kicking down doors or anything like that, but we, we are growing steadily and we're growing each and each week, which is what I love because it means that we are affecting people's lives and we're changing people's lives each and every week. Okay, jump onto Facebook, jump onto iTunes, give us a rating, give us a review. You could be Legend of the Week and chill out, relax. Take some me time this week. Jump out there. Go and do something that you love. You know, go and do something different. You notice uh, if you follow me on um, Instagram and Facebook that this past, um, I guess, couple of weeks, I've actually been taking a step back, uh, producing less content on those things just to have a break really because, um, you know, just to spend more time with my wife and uh, and because I realized that 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 point of time that – uh, I wasn't, you know, with, I play basketball, I work, you know, full-time and I, I do this full-time. And so, you know, it takes up a lot of my time, but I realized I wanted to spend a bit of time with my wife. So I said, oh, you're right, two, next two weeks or so, we're going to take a step back. We're going to do things a little bit differently, take a breather, you know, actually chill out with my wife on the lounge every night and watch some TV together, have those good moments. And then, uh, and then, yeah, this week we'll get stuck back in again. So you can expect a lot more content coming out this week. Uh, and... Go and do something, honestly, truly, go and do something that you enjoy. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a walk, it could be kicking the footy, catching up with some mates, going to see a movie, going for a kayak. I don't even know where I got that from, but it doesn't matter. Just do something that you enjoy. Okay, thank you again, as always, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Cheers. Back to my awesome music. <laughs>